story from James Harriet Dog Stories. Number 34. Jingle and Skipper. Animals need friends. Have you ever watched two animals in a field? They may be of different types. A pony and a sheep, but they hang together. This comradeship between animals has always fascinated me. And I often think of Jack Sanders' two dogs as a perfect example of mutual devotion. One of them was called Jingle, and as I injected the local anesthesia alongside the barbed wire tear in his skin, the powerful white bull terrier whimpered just once. Then he decided to resign himself to his fate and, and looks stolidly to the front as I depressed the plunger. Meanwhile, his inseparable friend, Skipper, the corgi, now gently at Jingle's hind leg. It was odd to see two dogs on the table at once, but I knew the relationship between them and made no comments as their master hoisted them both up. After I had infiltrated the area around the wound, I began to stitch and Jingle relaxed noticeably when he found that he could feel nothing. Maybe this will teach you to avoid barbed wire fence in future, Jing, I said. Jack Sanders laughed. I doubt it will, Mr. Harriet. I thought the coat was clear when I took him down the lane this morning. But he spotted a dog on the other side of the fence, and he was through like a bullet. Fortunately, it was a greyhound, and he couldn't catch it. You're a regular terror, Jing. I patted my patient, and the big Roman nose face turned to me with an ear-to-ear grin, and at the other end, the tail whipped delightfully. Yes, it's, it's amazing, isn't it, his master said. He's always looking for a fight, yet people and children can do anything with him. He's the best-natured dog in the world. I finished stitching and dropped the sitter needle into a kidney dish on the trolley. Well, you got to remember that the Bull Terrier is the original English fighting dog and Jing is only obeying an old age-old instinct. Oh, I realize that. I'll just have to go on scanning the horizon every time I let him off the lead. No dog is safe from him. Except this one, Jack. I laughed and pointed to the little corgi who had tired of his companion's leg and was now chewing his ear. Yes, isn't it marvelous I think he could bite Jing's ear off without reprisal. It was indeed rather wonderful. The corgi was 11 years old and beginning to show his age and stiffness of movement and impairment of sight. While the bull terrier was only three, at the height of his strength and power, a squat borrowed chest bundle at bone and muscle, he was a formidable animal. But when the ear chewing became too violent, all he did was turn and gently engulf Skipper's head in his huge jaw till the little animal desisted. Those jaws could be as merciless as a steel trap, but they held the tiny head in a lumpy embrace. Ten days later, their master brought both dogs back to the surgery for the removal of the stitches. He looked worried as he lifted the animals on the table. Jingle isn't at all well, Mr. Harriet, he said. He's been off his food for a couple of days and he looks miserable. Could that wound make him ill if it turns septic? Yes, it could, of course. I looked down anxiously at the area of the flank where I had stitched and my fingers explored the long scar. But there was not the slightest sign of infection here. No swelling, no pain. He's healed beautifully. I stepped back and looked at the bull terrier. He was strangely disconsolate. Tail tucked down, eyes gazing ahead with total lack of interest. Not even the busy nibbling of his friend at one of his paws relieved his apathy. Clearly, Skipper didn't like being ignored in this fashion. He transferred his operation to the front end and started on the big dog's ear. As his efforts still went unnoticed, he began to chew and tug harder, dragging the massive head down to one side. But as far as Jingle was concerned, he might as well not have been there. Hey, that's enough, Skipper, I said. Jing isn't in the mood for rough stuff today. 
I lifted him gently to the floor where he paced indignantly around the table legs. I examined the bull terry thoroughly, and the only significant finding was an elevated temperature. It's 105, Jack. He's very ill. There's no doubt about that. But what's the matter with him? With a high fever like that, he must have some acute infection. But at the moment, it's difficult to pinpoint. I reached out and stroked the broad skull, running my fingers over the curving white face as my thoughts raised. For an instant, the tail twitched between his hawk and the friendly eye rolled around to me and then to his master. It was the moment of the eyes which seized my whole attention. I quickly raised the upper lip. The conjunctiva appeared to be normal pink, but in the smooth white slera, I could discern the faintest tinge of jello. He's got jaundice, I said. Have you noticed anything particular about his urine? Jack Sanders nodded. Yes, now you mention it. I saw him cock his leg in the garden and his water looked a bit dark. Those are bio pigments. I gently squeezed the abdomen and the dog winched slightly. Yes, he's definitely tender in there. Jaundice, his master stared at my across the table. Where would he get that? I rubbed my chin. Well... When I see a dog like this, I think first of two things. Phosphorus poisoning and leptospirosis. In a view of high temperature, I go for the leptospirosis. Would he catch it from another dog? Possibly, but more likely from rats. Does he come into contact with any rats? Yes, now and then. There's a lot of them in the old hen house at the foot of the lane, and Jing sometimes get in there after them. Well, that's it, I shrugged. I don't think we need to look any further for the case. He nodded slowly. Anyway, it's something you know what's wrong with him. Now you can set about putting him right. I looked at him for a moment in silence. It was like that at all. It wasn't like that at all. I didn't want to upset him. But on the other hand, he was a highly intelligent and sensible man. In his 40s, a teacher of the local school, I felt I had to tell him the whole truth. Jack, I said, this is a terrible condition to treat. If there's one thing I hate to see, it's jaundice dog. You mean it's serious? I'm afraid so. In fact, the mortality rate is very high. I fell for him when I saw the sudden pain and concern in his face. But a warning now was better than a shock later because I knew that Jingle could be dead within a few days. Even now, 30 years later, I quail when I see that jellish discoloration in a dog's eye. Penicillin and other antibiotics had some effect against the cause of casual organism of leptospirosis, but the disease is still very often fatal. I see, I see, he was collecting his thoughts, but surely you can do something. Yes, yes, of course, I said briskly. I'm going to give him a big shot of antilotospiral serum and some medicine to administer by the mouth. It isn't completely hopeless. I injected the serum in the knowledge that it didn't have much effect on this stage, but I had nothing else to offer. I gave Skipper a shot, too, with the happiest feeling that it would protect him against the infection. One thing more, Jack, I added. This disease also affects humans. So please take all hygienic precautions when handling Jingle, all right? He nodded and lifted the bull terrier from the table, the big dog, as most of his patients do. Try to hurry away from the disturbing white coat and anticipate atmosphere of the surgery. As he trotted along the passage, his master turned to me eagerly. Look at that. He doesn't seem too bad, does he? I didn't say anything. I hoped with all my heart that he was right, but I was fighting off the conviction that this nice animal was doomed. At any rate, I will soon know. I knew, in fact, next day, Jack Sender was on the phone before 9 o'clock in the morning. Jing's not so good, he said, but the tremor in his voice belied the lightness of his words. Oh, I experienced the familiar drooping of the spirits. What is he doing? Nothing, I'm afraid. Won't eat a thing, lying around, just lifeless. And every now and then, he vomits. 
It was what I expected, but I still felt like kicking the desk by my side. Very, very well. I'll be right around. There was no tail wax from Jinx today. He was crouched before the fire, gazing listless into the coals. The yellow in his eyes had deepened to a rich orange, and his temperature still soared. I repeated the serum injection, but the big dog did not heed the entry of the needle. Before I left, I ran my hand over the smooth white body, and Skipper, as ever, kept boring in on his friends. But Jingle's thoughts were elsewhere, sunk in his inner misery. I visited him daily, and on the fourth day, I found him stretched almost comatose on his side. The conjunctiva clara and the mucous membranes of the mouth were a dirty chocolate color. Is he suffering? Jack Sanders asked. I hesitated for a moment. I honestly don't think he's in pain, sickness, nausea. Yes, but I say that's all. Well, I like to keep on trying, he said. I don't want to put him down even though you think it's hopeless. You do, don't you? I made a non-committal gesture. I was watching Skipper, who seemed bewildered. He had given up his worrying tactics and was sniffing around his friend in a puzzled manner. Only once did he pull very gently at the unresponsive ear. I went through the motions with a feeling of helplessness and felt with the unpleasant intuition that I would never see Jingo alive again. And even though I was waiting for it, Jack Sanders' phone call next morning was a bad start to the day. Jing died during the night, Mr. Harriet. I thought I'd better let you know. You said you were coming back this morning. He was trying to be matter-of-fact. I'm sorry, Jack, I said. I did rather expect. Yes, I know, and thank you for what you did. It made it worse when people were nice at these times. The Sanders were a childless couple and devoted to their animals. I knew how he was feeling. I stood there with the receiver in my hand. Anyway, we got still got Skipper. It sounded a bit lame, but it did, it did help to have the comfort of one remaining dog, even though he was old. That's right, he replied. We're very thankful for Skipper. I went on with my work. Patients died sometimes, and once it was over, it was almost a relief, especially when I knew in Jingle's case that the end was inedible. But this time wasn't over. But this thing wasn't over. Less than a week later, Jack Sanders was on the phone again. It's Skipper, he said. He seems to be going the same way as Jane. A cold hand took some hold of my stomach and twisted it. But, but he can't be. I gave him the protection injection. Well, I don't know, but he's hanging around miserably and hardly eats a thing. He seems to be going down fast. I ran out and jumped in my car, and as I drove to the edge of the town where the center lived, my heart throbbed and panically thoughts jolted around in my mind. How could he have got the infection? I had little faith in the serum as a cure, but as a preventant, I felt it was safe. I had even given him a second shot to make sure the idea of, the, of those people losing both of the dogs was bad, and bad, bad enough, but I couldn't bear the thought that the second one might be my fault. The little corgi trailed unhappily across the carpet when he saw me and lifted him quickly on the kitchen table. I lifted him. I almost snatched at his eyelids in my anxiety but there was no sign of jaundice in the clara, nor in the mucous membrane of the mouth. The temperature was dead normal, and I felt a wave of relief. He hasn't got leptosporosis, I said. Anyway, Mr. Sanders clasped her, her hands. Mrs. Sanders, oh, thank God for that. We were sure it was the same thing. He looked so awful. I examined the little animal meticulously, and when I finished, I put my to fork in my pocket. Well, I can't find much wrong here. He's got a bit of a heart murmur, but you know about that for some time. He's old, after all. Do you think he could be fretting for Jane? Jack answered. 
Jack Sanders asked. Yes, I do. They were such friends. He must feel lost. But he'll get over that, won't he? Of, of course he will. I'll leave some myositative table tablets for him, and I'm sure they'll help. I met Jack a few days later in the marketplace. How was Skipper, I asked. He blew on his cheeks about the same time, maybe a bit worse. The trouble is he eats practically nothing. He's getting very thin. I didn't see what else I could do, but on the following day, I looked into the Sanders as I was passing. I was shocked at the little Corgi's appearance. Despite his age, he had been so cocky and full of bounds, and when Jing was alive, he had been indisputably the boss dog. But now he was utterly deflated. He looked at me with lackluster eyes as I came in, then crept stiffly to his basket where he curled himself as though wishing to shut out the world. I examined him again. The heart murmur seemed a little more pronounced, but there was nothing else except that he looked old and descriptive and done. You know, I'm beginning to wonder if he really is fretting. I said it could be just his age catching up on him. After all, he'll be 12 in the spring, won't he? Mr. Sanders nodded. That's right. Then you think this could be the end. It's possible. I knew what she was thinking. A couple of weeks ago, two healthy dogs rolling around and playing in the house, and now there could be soon none. But isn't there anything else you can do? Well, I can give him a course of digitals for his heart, and perhaps you would bring in a sample of his urine. I want to see how his kidneys are functioning. I tested the urine. There was a little albumin, but no more than you would expect in a dog at his age. I rolled out nephritis as a cause. As the days passed, I tried other things, vitamins, iron toxin, organophosphates, but the little animal declined steadily. It was after a month after Jing's death that I, I was called to the house again. Skipper was in the basket, and when I called to him, he slowly raised his head. His face was pinched and, and fleshless, and the film eyes regarded me without recognition. Come on, lad, I said encouragingly. Let's see you get out of there. Jack Sanders shook his head. It's no good, Mr. Harriet. He never leaves his back now, and when we lift him out, he's almost too weak to walk. Another thing. He makes a mess down here in the kitchen during the night. That's something he never done. It was like the tolling of a sad bell. Everything he said pointed to a dog in the last stages of senility. I tried to pick up my words. I'm sorry, Jack, but it all sounds as if the old chap has come to the end of the road. I don't think fretting could possibly cause all this. He didn't speak for a moment. He looked at his wife, then down at the forlong little creature. Well, of course, this has been in the back of our minds, but we kept hoping he would start to eat. What do you suggest? I could not bring myself to say the faithful words. It seemed to me that we can't stand by and let him suffer. He's just a little skeleton, and I can't think he's, going, he's getting any pleasure out of his life now. I see, he said. And I agree. He lies there all day. He has no interest in anything. He paused and looked at his wife again. I'll tell you what, Mr. Harrod, let us think it over till tomorrow, but you do think there's no hope. Yes, Jack, I do. Old dogs often go this way at the end. Skipper had just cracked up. He finished, I'm afraid. He's finished. He drew a long breath. Right, if you don't hear from me by 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, please come and put him to sleep. I had small hope of the call coming and it didn't and it didn't in those early days of our marriage Helen worked as a secretary for our, one of the local millers we often started our day together by descending the long flights of stairs from our bed sitter and I would see her out of the front door before getting ready for my rounds this morning she gave me her usual kiss before going out and into the street but then she looked at me searchingly You've been quiet all through breakfast, Jim. What's the matter? 
it's a, it's nothing really. It's just part of the job, I said. But when the she kept her steady gaze on me, I told her quickly about the Sanders. She touched my arm. <clears throat> it's such a shame, Jim, but you can't let your set cases depress you. You'll never survive. I, I don't know that, but I'm a softie. That's my trouble. Sometimes I think I should never have been a vet. You're wrong there, she said. I couldn't imagine you as anything else. You'll do what you have to do, and you'll do it in the right way. She kissed me again and turned and ran down the steps. The first thing I saw when I went into the kitchen was a fat little white puppy waddling across the floor. I looked down in astonishment. That What's this? Mrs. Sanders gave me a strange smile. Jack and I had a talk yesterday. We couldn't bear the idea of not having a dog at all. So we went down to Mrs. Palmer's who bred Jing and found she had a litter for sale. It seemed like fate. We call him Jingle, too. What a splendid idea. I lifted my the pup with a squirm in my hand, grunted in the best manner, and tried to lick, to lick my face. This, I felt, will make my unpleasant task easier. I think you've been very sensible. I lifted the bottle of anesthetic unobtrusively from my pocket and went over to the basket in the corner. Skipper was still curled in the unheeding ball of yesterday, and the comforting thought came to me that all I was going to do was push him a little further along the journey he had already begun. I pierced the rubber diaphragm on the bottle with my needle and was about to withdraw the barbiture when I saw the skipper had raised his head. Chin resting on the edge of the basket, he seemed to be watching the pup. Wearily, his eyes followed the tiny creature as it made its way to a dish of milk and began to lap, lap busily. And there was something in his intent expression which had not been there for a long time. I stood very still as the corgi made a couple of attempts then heaved himself to a standing position. He almost fell out of the basket and staggered on shaking legs across the floor. When he came alongside the pup, he remained there, swaying for some time, a gaunt caricature of his former self. But as I watched in disbelief, he reached forward and seized the little white ear in his mouth. Soitism is not a characteristic of pups and jingle. The second yelps shrilly as the teeth squeeze. Skipper, undeterred, continued to gnaw with rapt concentration. I dropped bottle and syringe back in my pocket, bringing him some food, I said quietly. Mrs. Sanders hurried to the pantry and she came back with a few pieces of meat on a saucer. Skipper continued to his ear nibbling for a few moments and sniffed the pup unhurriedly from end to end before turning to the saucer. He hardly had the strength to chew, but he lifted a portion of meat, and his jaws moved slowly. Good heavens, Jack Sanders burst out. That's the first thing he's eaten for days. His wife seized my arm. What's happened, Mr. Harriet? We only got the puppy because we couldn't have a house without a dog. Well, it looks to me as though you got two again. I went over to the door and smiled back at the two people, watching fascinated as the corgi swallowed and started determining on another piece of meat. Good morning. I'm going now. About eight months later, Jack Sanders came into the surgery and put Jingle, too, on the table. He was growing into a fine animal with the white chest and powerful legs of the breed. His good-natured face and wimping tail reminded me strongly of his predecessor. He's got a bit of eczema between his pads, Jack said. Then he bent and lifted the skipper up. At that moment, I had no eyes for my patient. All my attention was on the corgi, plump and bright-eyed, nibbling at the big white dog's hind limbs with all his old bounce and vigor. Just look at that, I murmured. It's like turning the clock back. Jack Sanders laughed. Yes, yes, it is, isn't it? They're, they're tremendous friends, just like before. Come here, Skipper. I grabbed the little corgi and looked at him over. When I had finished, I held him for a moment as he tried to wriggle his way back to his friends. Do you know, I honestly think he'll go on for years yet. 
Really? Jack Sanders looked at me with a mischievous light in his own eyes. But I seem to remember you saying quite a long time ago that his days were over. He was finished. I held up a hand. I know, I know, but sometimes it's lovely to be wrong. James Harriet goes on to, on to explain, One of my warm memories about the importance of animal relationship, the psychological side of animal doctoring is deeply interesting. If they feel they have nothing to live for, they will very often die. And this holds good in all animal species, as in the case of a ooh, who will usually survive as a tough lambing if she has a lamb to care for. Skipper's case was proof of the most satisfying kind. Of course, losing a companion affects different dogs in different ways. Some of them just fret briefly, but others mourn the loss for a very long time. The end. Reading a story from James Harriet Dog Stories, number 34, Jingle and Skipper. Animals need friends. Have you ever watched two animals in a field? They may be of different types, a pony and a sheep, but they hang together. This comradeship between animals has always fascinated me. And I often think of Jack Sanders' two dogs as a perfect example of mutual devotion. One of them was called Jingle, and as I injected the local anesthesia alongside the barbed wire tear in his skin, the powerful white bull terrier whimpered just once. Then he decided to resign himself to his fate and, and looks stolidly to the front as I depressed the plunger. Meanwhile, his inseparable friend, Skipper, the corgi, now gently at Jingle's hind leg. It was odd to see two dogs on the table at once, but I knew the relationship between them and made no comments as their master hoisted them both up. After I had infiltrated the area around the wound, I began to stitch and Jingle relaxed noticeably when he found that he could feel nothing. Maybe this will teach you to avoid barbed wire fence in future, Jing, I said. Jack Sanders laughed. I doubt it will, Mr. Harriet. I thought the coat was clear when I took him down the lane this morning. But he spotted a dog on the other side of the fence, and he was through like a bullet. Fortunately, it was a greyhound, and he couldn't catch it. You're a regular terror, Jing. I patted my patient, and the big Roman nose face turned to me with an ear-to-ear grin, and at the other end, the tail whipped <laughs> delightfully. Yes, it's, it's amazing, isn't it, his master said. He's always looking for a fight, yet people and children can do anything with him. He's the best-natured dog in the world. I finished stitching and dropped the sutter needle into a kidney dish on the trolley. Well, you got to remember that the Bull Terrier is the original English fighting dog and Jing is only obeying an old age-old instinct. Oh, I realize that. I'll just have to go on scanning the horizon every time I let him off the lead. No dog is safe from him. Except this one, Jack. I laughed and pointed to the little corgi who had tired of his companion's leg and was now chewing his ear. Yes, isn't it marvelous? I think he could bite Jing's ear off without reprisal. It was indeed rather wonderful. The corgi was 11 years old and beginning to show his age and stiffness of movement and impairment of sight. While the bull terrier was only three, at the height of his strength and power, a squat borrowed chest bundle at bone and muscle. He was a formidable animal. But when the ear chewing became too violent, all he did was turn and gently engulf Skipper's head in his huge jaw till the little animal desisted. Those jaws could be as merciless as a steel trap, but they held the tiny head in a lumpy embrace. Ten days later, their master brought both dogs back to the surgery. 
for the removal of the stitches. He looked worried as he lifted the animals on the table. Jingle isn't at all well, Mr. Harriet, he said. He's been off his food for a couple of days and he looks miserable. Could that wound make him ill if it turns septic? Yes, it could, of course. I looked down anxiously at the area of the flank where I had stitched and my fingers explored the long scar. But there was not the slightest sign of infection here. No swelling, no pain. He's healed beautifully. I stepped back and looked at the bull terrier. He was strangely disconsolate. Tail tucked down, eyes gazing ahead with total lack of interest. Not even the busy nibbling of his friend at one of his paws relieved his apathy. Clearly, Skipper didn't like being ignored in this fashion. He transferred his operation to the front end and started on the big dog's ear. As his efforts still went unnoticed, he began to chew and tug harder, dragging the massive head down to one side. But as far as Jingle was concerned, he might as well not have been there. Hey, that's enough, Skipper, I said. Jing isn't in the mood for rough stuff today. I lifted him gently to the floor where he paced indignantly around the table legs. I examined the bull terry thoroughly, and the only significant finding was an elevated temperature. It's 105, Jack. He's very ill. There's no doubt about that. But what's the matter with him? With a high fever like that, he must have some acute infection. But at the moment, it's difficult to pinpoint. I reached out and stroked the broad skull, running my fingers over the curving white face as my thoughts raised. For an instant, the tail twitched between his hawk and the friendly eye rolled around to me and then to his master. It was the moment of the eyes which seized my whole attention. I quickly raised the upper lip. The conjunctiva appeared to be normal pink, but in the smooth white slera, I could discern the faintest tinge of jello. He's got jaundice, I said. Have you noticed anything particular about his urine? Jack Sanders nodded. Yes, now you mention it. I saw him cock his leg in the garden and his water looked a bit dark. Those are bio pigments. I gently squeezed the abdomen and the dog winched slightly. Yes, he's definitely tender in there. Jaundice, his master stared at my across the table. Where would he get that? I rubbed my chin. Well... When I see a dog like this, I think first of two things. Phosphorus poisoning and leptospirosis. In a view of high temperature, I go for the leptospirosis. Would he catch it from another dog? Possibly, but more likely from rats. Does he come into contact with any rats? Yes, now and then. There's a lot of them in the old hen house at the foot of the lane, and Jing sometimes get in there after them. Well, that's it, I shrugged. I don't think we need to look any further for the case. He nodded slowly. Anyway, it's something you know what's wrong with him. Now you can set about putting him right. I looked at him for a moment in silence. It was like that at all. It wasn't like that at all. I didn't want to upset him. But on the other hand, he was a highly intelligent and sensible man. In his 40s, a teacher of the local school, I felt I had to tell him the whole truth. Jack, I said, this is a terrible condition to treat. If there's one thing I hate to see, it's jaundice dog. You mean it's serious? I'm afraid so. In fact, the mortality rate is very high. I fell for him when I saw the sudden pain and concern in his face. But a warning now was better than a shock later because I knew that Jingle could be dead within a few days. Even now, 30 years later, I quail when I see that jellish discoloration in a dog's eye. Penicillin and other antibiotics had some effect against the cause of casual organism of leptospirosis, but the disease is still very often fatal. I see, I see, he was collecting his thoughts, but surely you can do something. Yes, yes, of course, I said briskly. I'm going to give him a big shot of antilotospiral serum and some medicine to administer by the mouth. It isn't completely hopeless. 
I injected the serum in the knowledge that it didn't have much effect on this stage, but I had nothing else to offer. I gave Skipper a shot too with the happiest feeling that it will protect him against the infection. One thing more, Jack, I added. This disease also affects humans. So please take all hygienic precautions when handling Jingle, all right? He nodded and lifted the bull terrier from the table, the big dog, as most of his patients do. Try to hurry away from the disturbing white coat and anticipate atmosphere of the surgery. As he trotted along the passage, his master turned to me eagerly. Look at that. He doesn't seem too bad, does he? I didn't say anything. I hope with all my heart that he was right. But I was fighting off the conviction that this nice animal was doomed. At any rate, I will soon know. I knew, in fact, next day, Jack Sender was on the phone before 9 o'clock in the morning. Jing's not so good, he said, but the tremor in his voice belied the lightness of his words. Oh, I experienced the familiar drooping of the spirits. What is he doing? Nothing, I'm afraid. Won't eat a thing, lying around, just lifeless, and every now and then he vomits. It was what I expected, but I still felt like kicking the desk by my side. Very, very well, I'll be right around. There was no tail wax from Jinx today. He was crushed before the fire, gazing listless into the coals. The yellow in his eyes had deepened to a rich orange and his temperature still soared. I repeated the serum injection, but the big dog did not heed the entry of the needle. Before I left, I ran my hand over the smooth white body and Skipper as ever kept boring in on his friends. But Jingle's thoughts were elsewhere, sunk in his inner misery. I visited him daily, and on the fourth day, I found him stretched almost comatose on his side. The conjunctiva clara and the mucous membranes of the mouth were a dirty chocolate color. Is he suffering? Jack Sanders asked. I hesitated for a moment. I honestly don't think he's in pain, sickness, nausea. Yes, but I say that's all. Well, I like to keep on trying, he said. I don't want to put him down even though you think it's hopeless. You do, don't you? I made a non-committal gesture. I was watching Skipper who seemed bewildered. He had given up his worrying tactics and was sniffing around his friend in a puzzled manner. Only once did he pull very gently at the unresponsive ear. I went through the motions with a feeling of helplessness and felt with the unpleasant intuition that I would never see Jingo alive again. And even though I was waiting for it, Jack Sanders' phone call next morning was a bad start to the day. Jing died during the night, Mr. Harriet. I thought I'd better let you know. You said you were coming back this morning. He was trying to be matter-of-fact. I'm sorry, Jack, I said. I did rather expect. Yes, I know, and thank you for what you did. It made it worse when people were nice at these times. The Sanders were a childless couple and devoted to their animals. I knew how he was feeling. I stood there with the receiver in my hand. Anyway, we got still got Skipper. It sounded a bit lame, but it did, it did help to have the comfort of one remaining dog, even though he was old. That's right, he replied. We're very thankful for Skipper. I went on with my work. Patients died sometimes, and once it was over, it was almost a relief, especially when I knew in Jingle's case that the end was inedible. But this time wasn't over. But this thing wasn't over. Less than a week later, Jack Sanders was on the phone again. It's Skipper, he said. He seems to be going the same way as Jing. A cold hand took some hold of my stomach and twisted it. But, but he can't be. I gave him the protection injection. Well, I don't know, but he's hanging around miserably and hardly eats a thing. He seems to be going down fast. I ran out and jumped in my car, and as I drove to the edge of the town where the center lived, my heart throbbed and panically thoughts jolted around in my mind. How could he have got the infection? I had little faith in the serum as a cure, but as a preventant, I felt it was safe. I had even given him a second shot to make sure 
the idea of, the, of those people losing both of the dogs was bad, and bad, bad enough, but I couldn't bear the thought that the second one might be my fault. The little corgi trailed unhappily across the carpet when he saw me and lifted him quickly on the kitchen table. I lifted him. I almost snatched at his eyelids in my anxiety, but there was no sign of jaundice in the sclera, nor in the mucous membrane of the mouth. The temperature was dead normal, and I felt a wave of relief. He hasn't got leptospirosis, I said. Anyway, Mr. Sanders clapped her, her hands. Mrs. Sanders, oh, thank God for that. We were sure it was the same thing. He looked so awful. I examined the little animal meticulously, and when I finished, I put my fork in my pocket. Well, I can't find much wrong here. He's got a bit of a heart murmur. But you know about that for some time. He's old, after all. Do you think he could be fretting for Jane? Jack answered. Jack Sanders asked. Yes, I do. They were such friends. He must feel lost. But he'll get over that, won't he? Of, of course he will. I'll leave some myosedative table tablets for him, and I'm sure they'll help. I met Jack a few days later in the marketplace. How was Skipper, I asked. He blew on his cheeks about the same time, maybe a bit worse. The trouble is he eats practically nothing. He's getting very thin. I didn't see what else I could do, but on the following day, I looked into the Sanders as I was passing. I was shocked at the little Corgi's appearance. Despite his age, he had been so cocky and full of bounds, and when Jing was alive, he had been indisputably the boss dog. But now he was utterly deflated. He looked at me with lackluster eyes as I came in, then crept stiffly to his basket where he curled himself as though wishing to shut out the world. I examined him again. The heart murmur seemed a little more pronounced, but there was nothing else except that he looked old and descriptive and done. You know, I'm beginning to wonder if he really is fretting. I said it could be just his age catching up on him. After all, he'll be 12 in the spring, won't he? Mr. Sanders nodded. That's right. Then you think this could be the end. It's possible. I knew what she was thinking. A couple of weeks ago, two healthy dogs rolling around and playing in the house, and now there could be soon none. But isn't there anything else you can do? Well, I can give him a course of digitals for his heart, and perhaps you would bring in a sample of his urine. I want to see how his kidneys are functioning. I tested the urine. There was a little albumin, but no more than you would expect in a dog at his age. I rolled out nephritis as a cause. As the days passed, I tried other things, vitamins, iron toxin, organophosphates, but the little animal declined steadily. It was after a month after Jing's death that I, I was called to the house again. Skipper was in the basket, and when I called to him, he slowly raised his head. His face was pinched and, and fleshless, and the film eyes regarded me without recognition. Come on, lad, I said encouragingly. Let's see you get out of there. Jack Sanders shook his head. It's no good, Mr. Harriet. He never leaves his back now, and when we lift him out, he's almost too weak to walk. Another thing. He makes a mess down here in the kitchen during the night. That's something he never done. It was like the tolling of a sad bell. Everything he said pointed to a dog in the last stages of senility. I tried to pick up my words. I'm sorry, Jack, but it all sounds as if the old chap has come to the end of the road. I don't think fretting could possibly cause all this. He didn't speak for a moment. He looked at his wife, then down at the forlorn little creature. Well, of course, this has been in the back of our minds, but we kept hoping he would start to eat. What do you suggest? 
I could not bring myself to say the faithful words. It seemed to me that we can stand by and let him suffer. He's just a little skeleton, and I can't think he's, going, he's getting any pleasure out of his life now. I see, he said. And I agree. He lies there all day. He has no interest in anything. He paused and looked at his wife again. I'll tell you what, Mr. Herrick. Let us think it over till tomorrow, but you do think there's no hope. Yes, Jack, I do. Old dogs often go this way at the end. Skipper had just cracked up. He finished, I'm afraid. He's finished. He drew a long breath. Right, if you don't hear from me by 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, please come and put him to sleep. I had small hope of the call coming, and it didn't. And it didn't. In those early days of our marriage, Helen worked as a secretary for one of the local millers. We often started our day together by descending the long flights of stairs from our bed sitter, and I would see her out of the front door before getting ready for my rounds. This morning, she gave me her usual kiss before going out and into the street, but then she looked at me searchingly. You've been quiet all through breakfast, Jim. What's the matter? It's, an, it's nothing, really. It's just part of the job, I said. But when the, she kept her steady gaze on me, I told her quickly about the Sanders. She touched my arm. <clears throat> it's such a shame, Jim, but you can't let your sad cases depress you. You'll never survive. I, I don't know that, but I'm a softy. That's my trouble. Sometimes I think I should never have been a vet. You're wrong there, she said. I couldn't imagine you as anything else. You'll do what you have to do, and you'll do it in the right way. She kissed me again and turned and ran down the steps. The first thing I saw when I went into the kitchen was a fat little white puppy waddling across the floor. I looked down in astonishment. That What's this? Mrs. Sanders gave me a strange smile. Jack and I had a talk yesterday. We couldn't bear the idea of not having a dog at all. So we went down to Mrs. Palmer's who bred Jing and found she had a litter for sale. It seemed like fate. We call him Jingle, too. What a splendid idea. I lifted my, the pup with a squirm in my hand, grunted in the best manner, and tried to lick, to lick my face. This, I felt, would make my unpleasant task easier. I think you've been very sensible. I lifted the bottle of anesthetic unobtrusively from my pocket and went over to the basket in the corner. Skipper was still curled in the unheating ball of yesterday, and the comforting thought came to me that all I was going to do was push him a little further along the journey he had already begun. I pierced the rubber diaphragm on the bottle with my needle and was about to withdraw the barbiture when I saw the skipper had raised his head. Chin resting on the edge of the basket, he seemed to be watching the pup. Wearily, his eyes followed the tiny creature as it made its way to a dish of milk and began to lap, lap busily. And there was something in his intent expression which had not been there for a long time. I stood very still as the corgi made a couple of attempts then heaved himself to a standing position. He almost fell out of the basket and staggered on shaking legs across the floor. When he came alongside the pup, he remained there, swaying for some time, a gaunt caricature of his former self. But as I watched in disbelief, he reached forward and seized the little white ear in his mouth. Soitism is not a characteristic of pups in Jingle, the second yelps shrilly as the teeth squeeze. Skipper, undeterred, continued to gnaw with rapt concentration. I dropped bottle and syringe back in my pocket, bringing him some food, I said quietly. Mrs. Sanders hurried to the pantry and she came back with a few pieces of meat on a saucer. Skipper continued to his ear nibbling for a few moments then sniffed the pup unhurriedly from end to end before turning to the saucer. He hardly had the strength to chew, but he lifted a portion of meat, and his jaws moved slowly. Good heavens, Jack Sanders burst out. That's the first thing he's eaten for days. His wife seized my arm. What's happened, mister? 
Harriet. We only got the puppy because we couldn't have a house without a dog. Well, it looks to me as though you've got two again. I went over to the door and smiled back at the two people watching fascinated as the corgi swallowed and started determining on another piece of meat. Good morning. I'm going now. About eight months later, Jack Sanders came into the surgery and put Jingle, too, on the table. He was growing into a fine animal with the wide chest and powerful legs of the breed. His good-natured face and wimping tail reminded me strongly of his predecessor. He's got a bit of eczema between his pads, Jack said. Then he bent and lifted the skipper up. At that moment, I had no eyes for my patient. All my attention was on the corgi, plump and bright-eyed, nibbling at the big white dog's hind limbs with all his old bounce and vigor. Just look at that, I murmured. It's like turning the clock back. Jack Sanders laughed. Yes, yes, it is, isn't it? They're, they're tremendous friends, just like before. Come here, Skipper. I grabbed the little corgi and looked at him over. When I had finished, I held him for a moment as he tried to wriggle his way back to his friends. Do you know, I honestly think he'll go on for years yet. Really? Jack Sanders looked at me with a mischievous light in his own eyes. But I seem to remember you saying quite a long time ago that his days were over. He was finished. I held up a hand. I know, I know, but sometimes it's lovely to be wrong. James Harriet goes on to, on to explain, one of my warm memories about the importance of animal relationship, the psychological side of animal doctoring is deeply interesting. If they feel they have nothing to live for, they will very often die. And this holds good in all animal species, as in the case of a ooh, who will usually survive as a tough lambing if she has a lamb to care for. Skipper's case was proof of the most satisfying kind. Of course, losing a companion affects different dogs in different ways. Some of them just fret briefly, but others mourn the loss for a very long time. The end.